Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. I'm John. Welcome to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we're making this a drinking game. Uh, Any negative criticism about a film is absolutely allowed, but you will be called out for it and you will have to take a drink every time. So pour yourself a glass, join us and give it up for some films we love. And uh, Jeff, what are we doing this week? Um, Well, I'm listening to John pour a beer in our intro because he cares about everybody. Um, So I don't know if you've, you've heard, guys, but the coronavirus is going around and Jesus Christ, Dave... And we are all based out of New York City, although I'm currently escaping in Massachusetts. So anyway, we decided that a lot of people have a lot of time to watch movies and try to not think about the impending doom before us. So we decided to do what we're calling the Corona Franchise Face-Off. That's right. The Corona Franchise Face-Off, which is a list of 16 trilogies or franchises that we came up with. And we ranked 1 to 16 for basically no reason other than we decided that this was a 1C, this was a 10C, and this was a 16C. And we are going to March Madness style have a battle from the top to the end to see which film franchise is the best. And we're going to start with 1 and 16. Why don't we Very quickly, feel free to uh, follow us on Instagram if you want to see. We are at the Love of Cinema. Is the Love of Cinema pod? The Love of Cinema Pod. The Love of Cinema Pod. We are going to try to keep that updated for you so you can follow along with the brackets. We're going to post a full bracket as well, and we'll you know be narrowing it down in real time as we release these things if you want to follow along. Also want to give our shout-out, our usual shout-out, um, to our usual beer provider. He's not with us this time, just like in our last episode. We're trying to play it safe here in New York City, so we did not pick up the beers from Mr. Carlos Barroso, but he is our beer sponsor. That is C. Barozzo Bar 2019. If you want to give him a follow on Instagram, the brews are delicious. We're very, very excited to get those back in our hands whenever things calm down back here. And as when, usual, when this quarantine is lifted, it's going to be like prohibition ended. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going to need it by that time. He said he's sitting on 370 beers at his house right now. He was so ready to give out his beers and to pump us up with ours, hand it out to that's, his friends. That's like two episodes for us. It's <laughs> like, oh, I'm so disappointed. One last shout out. All the music in these episodes is provided by the artist Dasein. That's D A S E I N. Give him a follow at SoundCloud backslash Dasein dash artist if you want to give a good listen. There's free downloads available. All right. Welcome back to the episode. So, yeah, as, as we said, uh, we are doing this remotely. So, again, we're in three different locations. Uh, I can see these guys. But uh, did you guys see the absolute beer apocalypse I had at the beginning of the show just a second ago? Oh, oh what just happened? It, I, I, yeah, I am now sitting in soggy trousers. Uh, I, I don't know. First of all, I don't believe you're wearing bag or something. I don't believe you're wearing trousers. I don't either. <laughs> we are FaceTiming. Yeah. Uh, you got, sure you got me. You got me. This is also a drinking game, and you you keep drinking 8% alcohol beers. Like, <laughs> Well, for an Australian, that's like a two. Oh, sure. <laughs> that is true. That is true. All right. So, anyway, I think it's time to get to it. So we okay. are going to start with our top ranked trilogy or franchise, our number one seed since Kansas, Kansas, the number one seed who was supposed to be in this year's March Madness is not going to get to play basketball. We decided the new number one seed is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Boom. 
The world That's has changed, right. you guys. Yeah. I feel it in the water, and I feel it in the earth, and I smell it in the air. Right. Who's ready to talk about this fucking no. franchise? Yeah, John's ready. John reread the books and rewatched all the movies recently. Also, we should point out they are redoing the Lord of the Rings franchise, so it's really funny that we have it as our one seed, and Amazon decided that they had a lot of money, so they're just going to remake the whole um, series. I don't exactly know what Actually, their format's going to be. No, they're not They're not touching on uh, Lord of the Rings at all. It's uh, all the Age of Man stuff beforehand when the rings were made. Great. We're going to go ahead and cut this so right out of the trilogy. On, so, I don't so it's a full-on prequel. Like it's a full-on. No, that only came out recently. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I, I don't know if they're including Cimmerillion, but it's a full-on prequel. Wow. We're, we're also not going to spend a lot of time talking about The Hobbit in this podcast. I hope not. Because it's not The Lord of the Rings. Because it's, it's, it's not something the Lord separate, of the right? Yeah. So right. Tolkien wrote The Hobbit first, cool, cool, and then he and then he wrote oh, The Lord of the Rings. So we will only be talking that about that surely. And, uh, and yeah. I think we're going to be specifically discussing the extended versions of these movies, yes. which are the only the versions only you version. should be watching. Tis tis tis. <laughs> if you still haven't taken the journey and watched those, it is a different experience. It is the experience. It is the intended experience. Right. Although well, I should point out, uh, I I found on iTunes today you can get all three normal length movies for twenty bucks. Don't do it. Which Don't do it. Don't steal, do it. Lean into it. But guys. hold hold out for the extended Go editions. For it, baby. I mean, well, if you got it, if you got to do it, if you know, if you're short on life, sure. <laughs> Take the well, quest. I, I'm double checking right now though, because Netflix keeps doing this thing where they put the Lord of the Rings. Not every day. Great. There goes my sound in the background. Netflix keeps doing the thing where they release the um, original cuts, <laughs> the theatrical cuts, um, not the extended versions on Netflix. So that's a pain in the ass. But people are going to find it and think that's the movie. It's not. The Return of the King, the third movie in the trilogy. I think in hour is cut out of that movie yeah it's including a 30 shorter. second opening sequence that's awesome a 30 minute opening sequence that's awesome yeah um great we're also going to talk about the 16 seed on our bracket we'll get to that in a little bit and that is the cornetto trilogy by edgar wright and yes, simon right. Pitt. shawn of the dead yes hot fuzz and the world's end so much fun yeah. and for so anyone who fun. doesn't know what a cornetto is it's basically the equivalent of a drumstick ice cream in the u.s yeah, it's really, really fun. Great cast, great director. Everything about it's great. It is our 16th seed. Maybe it won't, wouldn't be if we had rewatched all 16 trilogies ahead of time, but it has to go up <laughs> against Lord of the Rings, which is the first thing we're going to talk about. Now, I know John's itching to get to it, but why don't we make him simmer and stew a little bit more? And Dave, why don't we start with you? I don't even know how you begin to talk about this trilogy, but... No, you know what? Let's let's just unleash John. Let's go for it. Okay, fine. He's, he's been sitting there chomping at the bit on I'm this. Really, I'm drooling over here. Okay, so... I. This this franchise, this trilogy has has been called many things. I think the immediately when it first came out, people were already saying, "Oh, this is our generation's Star Wars," and you know things like that. I still think it has hung on for a lot of people. There's a lot of nostalgia attached to it because so many of us saw it when we were coming of age at some point, which is very meta considering so much of this story is about figuring out how to grow up and deal with the obstacles that are thrown to you and overcome all that stuff in the end. So I felt more like Gandalf, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dave, Dave, Dave is the Gandalf to our group. Uh, I, this is what, I'll, I'll begin with this and maybe you guys can start with this as well. I remember seeing fellowship for the first time in the theater. And of course this was not the, the extended cut. This was just the theatrical uh, cut. So I was in whatever eighth or, seventh eighth ninth grade i can't really quite remember exactly how old i was but i had not read so drunk the lord of the rings at the time and i remember when i walked out of that theater i already loved movies as much as any other kid I'm definitely from that video store generation so you know all my friends loved watching movies in general this was a very tangible feeling i had when i walked out of the theater i remember thinking that i actually 
believed it was so good that I actually left the theater wanting to believe that Middle Earth was a real place. And knowing that I was so thankful that in, in a year or two or whenever they were going to release Two Towers, the second one, that I was going to get to go back and and live with them again. And I think that just speaks to the the incredible achievement that this is. There are so I many mean, it, books it made into it movies. It definitely had a profound effect on people. Um, I remember, and just to bring it up quickly, The Hobbits didn't really like them. <laughs> but at the end of The Hobbits, when we got to the end... Peter Jackson should drink for The Hobbits, actually. <laughs> I, was, uh, <laughs> I was sitting there at the end of The Hobbit and I suddenly realised that we're not going to be visiting Middle Earth anymore and I teared up. And the only answer is like, to start Lord of the Rings over again. <laughs> that's yeah, basically, yes. that's the only answer. Uh, so, yeah, I remember thinking that, like, I just never had been affected by a story that way. So, one, just story, but also filmmaking. Everyone knew. The PR, they did such a good job. The way they filmed this, for anyone who really doesn't know, was one of the only times, maybe I think the only time this has ever happened, where the initial pitch was to make it into a single movie. And then they said, all right, no, fuck it. We want to do this, but we want you to make it into three. That's what New Line came back with. And they were like, great. And then they funded them to film it all at once. So there was about a year and seven months, I think, of, of nonstop filming or something like that. I can't remember the exact hmm. date. But anyway, so everyone kind of knew going into watching these for the first time that nothing like this had ever been done before. So we were going to well, see. There's a very some... interesting story about how that came about. Yeah. The the actual films. Yeah, go ahead and tell um, that story. They, actually, that's a good way yeah, to line. Uh, it. The, the Peter Jackson biography is amazing. It's worth a read. Um, but it, they had contracted Weta to do King Kong, and the studio pulled the pin on King Kong after they'd already hired everyone for a year to do all the work on King Kong, and everybody freaked out and they were like, "Shit, Weta's like Weta Digital is going out of business. We can't afford to keep these people on for a year. We owe them lots of money. Uh, what can we do?" And Peter Jackson uh, went away for a weekend with his crew and sat there and worked out, or it was, I think it was like a week, they went and sat there and worked out a treatment for the Lord of the Rings movie and that apparently flew through a fucking hurricane in a helicopter to get to the airport to take off to go over for a meeting with New Line and sat down and gave him the pitch. And, yeah, that's when New Line came back and went, can we make it three movies? Yeah. Him and uh, we we'll give a, a franchise? shout out to... And, and that actually saved what a digital... Yeah, beautiful. So, God, God, I love everything about this whole story. Fran Walsh uh, is his wife and producing yes. partner and co-writer. So they were very much a she, part of this. She rode in the helicopter with yeah, him. She was <laughs> along for there. They do not exist without each other. So I think that's also really wonderful that they have a little fellowship that they continued working for or working with throughout this entire process. And they still make movies together. I just, there's just so much stuff here to unpack. Anyway. I'm actually going to drink for not immediately remembering Fran Walsh's name. Yeah, yeah. Drink for Franny. Come on, Fran. God damn it. I love her. I mean, she's just an integral part of that team. Oh, yeah. So anyway, these movies, uh, they had a great, great, great impact on me. I do not think. I'll just say one more general thing and then I'll pass it off to, to Jeff. There are so many times everyone has had this feeling on Earth, if you watch movies at all, if when you're some books that you love or famous stories or famous books get made and adapted for film or television, it is almost always a lit down. There's another franchise we come to later on where we can, you know, we can debate that if this has been done as successfully another time. But almost everyone who loves the story, Lord of the Rings, and who loves the book, Lord of the Rings, will happily admit that especially the extended versions are a wonderful 
wonderful adaptation of this story. You feel like you have two mediums to get the entire experience with. So part of the fun of this is that there's just so much hours of footage. There's so much to live in that you really do feel like you're you get to go on the journey with them. It's not just getting to tap in and have a good fun time with the movie you like, or you can pull one out totally out of context. You can do that as well. But if you take the journey, it literally feels like a journey. It feels like it does in the book. It takes a long time to get through it. And it's so rewarding. So yeah, anyway, so that's that's my intro. I mean, yeah, what do you think? We're not by any means saying it's it's a perfect film. Like there are some dodgy effect shots in there. Um, but, but. It definitely, as far as the storytelling and the journey, I'm totally on board with that. Oh, yeah. You know what's it, you know what's interesting too is is that speaking of what you're saying with the effect shot, there's one motion of the camera in that final chase sequence out of um, when that when the demon is chasing them out. Um, Which very movie? famous scene fellowship? of the first sorry of, of, of fellowship, yeah, where it's like as they're moving up, it's because you know Gandalf is is. But how tall? He's supposed to be three times taller than the hobbits or something. So there's a weird transition that feels a little clunky. I feel like by the third movie, the the technology kept improving. Did you catch that too? I feel like it's it's fun to watch it in sequence because the first movie does feel like a first movie in sequence um, to me. Anyway, honestly, I put that mm-hmm. off to the side though. That's that's just like a big picture thing. No, no, no. That's totally um, true. You can like yeah. watch technology grow in real time with these people. Yeah, <laughs> with these films, it's it's yeah. fucking trippy. Yeah, they. It's, it's like, oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's invent something else yep. for next week. Yep. And once again, like, it's just, I've. I've it's just so meta. I mean, they were I've, having I've, to do that I've done the, in the I've journey done the, as well. I've done the walkthrough wetter. These guys are amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, you, yeah, you did the wetter. Yeah. Um, what I would say about this movie is, I I really enjoy um, like transcendent film like the kind of thing that you watch and you're taken to that time and place wherever that is whenever it is right it doesn't happen very often i thought game of thrones did it for six seasons and then certainly did not after that um but like this this movie is the ultimate you watch this and you are when when they and they go to hobbiton at the beginning and frodo is uh reading or writing underneath a tree and then he sort of sees gandalf come in and he runs after gandalf and the music is playing it is you transport and it is like i want to spend more time in the shire which unfortunately this movie they they just because of circumstances they sort of have to leave the shire quicker than in the book in the book they spend a little bit more time there which is it's really fun the way they talk you know just little things like they don't say 111 they say 111 like little tiny things like that add up after a while where you just kind of get sucked in even the singing they're constantly singing all the time they're eating and smoking pipes the whole movie like within seconds it just makes sense and it seems like a place that you want to go and the real achievement in in this is as we were talking as john was talking about at the beginning they had a year to plan for pre-production they had a full year so they literally planted hobbiton so that that land is not cgi'd really at all they actually planted plants that would be colorful in bloom that would make it look as picturesque as possible all the exteriors of the houses like bilbo's houses with the weird giant round door all of that was actually built into the ground this wasn't just the set that was built up and destroyed later you can go today and it is still in the exact same form that it was then it is it is stunning it's picturesque it's it's one of us has actually gone there isn't that that i was there there last year i did i walked around hobbiton they have actual horticulturists who work there they work on site wow um these guys are like protecting the nat the natural fauna they're there but they're also growing all the stuff um the bar like the the green dragon inn yeah is uh for real it works it's a working a working bar you can get beer there um it's that is actually the finale of the tour if you go um the only thing i think that isn't still real is the tree on the hill above bag end wow oh my god oh man but yeah i mean but jeff even just what you said right there like 
that is just an immediate proof that the storytelling is working because how badly do you want to stay in the Shire? What are we fighting for? By the time you leave the Shire, you, you don't want to have to go on this journey, but but you have to, to save yeah, that thing that you want to get back to. You're already right there. Just a general thing real fast, just because I know we're going to be bringing it up. That was another perfect example. I've heard Peter Jackson talk one time about how how passionate he is. Clearly, he's a he's a very, very, very intelligent, innovative uh, filmmaker. So he does not take anything lightly. He takes himself very seriously, and he takes their work very seriously. I heard this interview one time, though, where he was saying that he feels like he's on a bit of a crusade to defend escapism. And oh. I think this story is a really perfect example. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, he's not just adapting some tale. This is one of the greatest fantasy stories ever told. One of, you know, some, for a lot of people, I think it's one of their favorite stories ever told. It's just got all the ingredients of the hero's journey that you're looking for. So we had that to work with. But just in general, trying to, to, to stay true and to try to to prove to people that it doesn't have to be based in spectacle and sentiment. For escape, for, uh, escapism doesn't have to be based in those two things. It can be based on all of the real elements of the struggles of life, and it'll be heightened even further than that. I don't hate. I'll, Steven I'll, I'll give Spielberg, you an example of his. But I don't hate like those his, bigger his spectacle filmmakers. Hold on, I don't hate those guys by any means, but. There are some times that I feel like I'm watching major Hollywood productions that are clearly meant for escapism. And I can have a lot of fun in the theater. That is still something we should all be trying to do. I like having fun in the theater. I do enjoy the spectacle. But why is this movie or these movies different? This stuff gives me all of that, plus something so real that every time I watch it, I am a little more changed because of it. I'm not just having fun. I am struggling with them, and I'm having fun, and I get to enjoy the the final catharsis of actually pulling through with all of those people so hats off for the crusade against escapism I'm, dave I, I feel like we need a little bell for john for escapism <laughs> for escapism excuse me Not against. um to give you an idea of how detailed peter jackson can be uh the when you are walking around hobbiton i really suggest you go um every hut has a different job like a different person who works in the village lives there and what is outside their like hobbit hole depends on what their job is. Yeah, right down to the town drunk. Yeah, the like they're proud all there. Feet. Um, <laughs> Sam, Sam's Sam's house has its own little mythology where he has two doors, and the reason he has two doors is because in Hobbiton there's a window tax. Hmm. So he did it, he did it to keep the taxes down. Like they, there's a whole mythology built up around just this set location. Wow. Oh my god, it's so good. It's just and so by the way, detail. we're we're and like it, just the, it, go ahead. Hobbiton is like the is like the first ten minutes of the first movie too. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but this mm. we didn't even get to Sauron and Saruman and and really what is happening. We didn't talk about Kate Blanchett. We didn't talk about Viggo Mortensen. We didn't talk about the real star of like, the show, I Andy Circus. Andy Circus, Jesus, well, his that was his audition. Like how how did he possibly? Yeah. Also, I, I mean, I've seen these many times as many people have, and and if you haven't, please immediately do so. I say every night watch the first movie. The next night, watch the second movie. And the next night, watch it. All three movies in three nights. Some people do it in the same day. That's a little bit of an overkill. I say in three nights, do the hero's journey, watch the extended editions, and then <laughs> go back and watch it the extended you- features because the, the features are so great. There is th- there are so many incredible things. There was one time where there was a rainstorm outside, so they filmed. Um, a scene from the third movie, even though they were still working on the first movie, between Sam and Frodo right at the Mountain of Doom, like right at the end of the third movie. And they only got Sam's coverage. 
They only got Sam. And then the next day, the weather cleared up and they went back to their film schedule and they didn't film Eliza, uh, wow, Elijah, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) Elijah Woods. Eliza Wood. (laughs) Eliza Wood. They didn't film Elijah Wood's um, Cross for a year. (laughs) So the same scene was actually filmed a year apart. That is how detailed they were. They already had the third movie's costume, makeup, because now the makeup person has to make sure the makeup's identical. They, They had this stuff to a T years in advance it is so perfect and i'm just going to give a shout out because we'll, we're going to be talking about this movie again i have a feeling and i can do games of like who is your favorite like who would who do you want to be mm. do you want to be liz, liz tyler oh my god liz tyler jesus christ i can't talk <laughs> can you do you want to be an elf do you want to be a man do you want to jeff is jeff, the second one better on. than the third movie whatever we, we can talk about this forever we probably will what i would say about this trilogy is this is the best paced trilogy, I think, on our list. There are obviously other great pacings. Um, I'm sure Star Wars will come up. The second movie is always darkest in trilogies, right? The second movie always mm-hmm. changes and always gets a little deeper. And there's something like the um, the Darth Vader theme wasn't actually really introduced. The Imperial theme, the Imperial March, wasn't really introduced until the second Star Wars. Like in this movie, the, the score changes and it does get darker on the second movie. Mm-hmm. But one, two, three, the pacing between these movies, because at, at certain points... The, the story fractures. The characters have to split up, right? They're really only all together in one scene in the first movie, and then they all go on their separate ways. So sometimes you have like five or six different storylines that you're jumping around to, and it is they are all paced perfectly, not identical pacing, but yeah. it's like the way it comes together, how you, is, you have to watch it big picture, like how macro. How do they do that, dude? How, does it, I mean, how is it? It is, you're right. It's like the pacing... I guess pacing is the right way to say it. These movies can be watched out of context and you can still say, God damn it, they're all great on their own. But you're right. They also work perfectly together if you watch them seamlessly one you know one after the other Mm. yeah it's just a perfect balance story beats it's never like like in series like i love 24 friends i love the series 24 but when you have 24 hours some character is just gonna sleep for six hours right and this story every character is doing something pivotal to the story at all times Mm -hmm. and when just when you think you might have forgotten a character they come back in and they're doing something important Mm -hmm. and you're like oh that's where they Mm -hmm. are and then a pivotal scene happens it's like it's it's it is the bar. It is the bar for how to do that. Again, the yeah. Star Wars pacing even, is perfect. Even the pacing of the, the film, bar. like like when you think it's it's when it's all just getting a little bit too much, yeah. it's like a dance party. They they bring you in with the chill out. Here's some sweeping New Zealand scenery. Mm-hmm. Calm down I mean, and let's go to the next thing. And and he's Phil 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 Jackson. Oh my God, guys, what is wrong? <laughs> Peter Jackson. <laughs> Peter. God. <laughs> Phil Jackson has a lot of championships. Uh, <laughs> Except he ruined the Knicks. Oh, no, sorry. That was James Dolan. Okay. Peter Jackson said, it's like everybody who's from New Zealand thinks this is the Lord of the Rings. And I was like, I don't know if that's true, but thank God you did because this is the best. I, I don't know if it was actually B cam. I have no idea how many cameras they had going on at once. There were days where Peter Jackson was like four different locations. It, that second unit. I don't even, here's what I yeah. want to know. Here's who I want to talk to. I want to talk to the labeler. I want to talk to the person whose job it was to label this footage. It was like, Beautiful mountains with spiky peaks and a little white on the top. Um, peaky, beautiful mountains with aqua blue water underneath. Like, I, I don't know how they labeled it all, but especially that third movie, when they're following the beacons in the third movie, it's Ooh. like, I mean, New Zealand's just like, okay, we, we don't have a tourism budget. This is our tourism budget. It's, it's mm-hmm. done for us. 
they don't need one anymore. Yeah, Did they, they go to the fjords I mean, though? That's, that's the funny thing. Like I went, I went all around, I went all around New Zealand, North and South Island, and I can tell you every single place I stayed. If you Airbnb in New Zealand, you can open a drawer somewhere, and those DVDs are sitting in it. <laughs> yes, I mean as they should. It's they just are another. So proud it's of just this another movie. One of those things. Like I feel like, I mean, we're all you know, we all have theatrical backgrounds as well. We've been in the performing arts for a long time. Anyone who's involved in in the arts knows that every now and then there is a magical production if it's a play if it's a television show or a film or whatever where you can't even pick the best part about it because everything is firing on all cylinders this is just one of those those franchises you're 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 pointing out all the right stuff like no one else could have made this it had to be peter and fran jackson in new zealand at this time under those financial circumstances, yeah. with the precipice of technology that they were on, so they would push it with each of the films. Um, by the end of the, uh, in the middle of the filming of the third one, so I know they do, they filmed it a little bit out of order, but basically at the, towards the end of the second year of filming, Intel got in touch with Peter to let him know that Weta and his production company at the time had the largest computing power on planet Earth when they were in the middle of filming and post-production Return of the King. That is awesome. That is awesome. And that's also because every single frame of that film went in the computers. I mean... There's not a single frame of that film how that much, wasn't digitally Dave, I mean, Just talk really quickly, dude. How much did this movie change everything for digital? How much did this change everything? And mocap. I mean, mocap it definitely set the bar for. Like, once they introduced Gollum and people saw what was possible mm-hmm. and then they saw how they did it and like that set the bar for motion motion capture to come and and just to declare again i'm sure like, we'll talk about a lot of these specifics as, as this movie comes back up and stuff but one of my favorite things about weta and lord of the rings especially is so obvious is that they work they work with miniatures a lot yes right so they like do a lot of creature effects when yeah. they are flying through when you first when you know after one of those scenes with gandalf on the top of the tower when he's been held prisoner in fellowship and they drop down and they go under isengard where the orcs are being the orc are being dug out and they're flying through that cavern and everything they built an entire miniature set for that so it's half of it is actual 3d half it's a 3d camera and i'm sure a lot of it is mocap as well and like different different digital effects but there is something very unique about the special effects work and watching the transition from the first to the second to the third and the evolution of the technology. It's like you can witness it in real time. Yeah, it's like literally you walk off set and you walk into your own personal effects army and go, hey, how are we going to make this? And every single person in the room is a genius. I mean, I yeah. Mean, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's going to come out amazing. Masters it's just like the stories part. of ILM. It's very similar to hearing about the Lucas effects when they were working at ILM and they were just making mm-hmm. it as they went. And I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. like whenever you read about old uh, special effects artists and like golden age of Hollywood and silent era, these people were just inventors. They were literally just scientists and physics, physicists and inventors that they hired yeah. to help them think up new ways to, to film effects. And this is just a, God, it's just a, such a good example. Yeah. Creating the, other, the other thing that came out of this was uh, crowd uh, CG crowd motion. Um, oh, yeah. would, uh, if I, I believe actually yeah. developed their own plugin uh, where you it would create an army out of two or three models, but those models would react to what was around them. So if something bumped into it, it would react. If it, it came upon a tree trunk, it would jump over it oh, or go around God, it. Dude. Like it basically AI'd an army. That first shot when um, I think it's in Two Towers before they go to Helm's Deep when. Um, the, uh, what's the assistant guy that had the 
throw Huron King under his under his spell, and then he's back at, at Sauron's place. He's at Isengard, and he's like, but my lord, there is no such army. And then, I, and then yeah. Sauron walks I out. I can, like, I, can only see, I can only see him as Suda from Voyager. Or the guy from uh, Deadwood. He's so good in that. But anyway, when yeah. they walk out on that balcony, and you see 10,000 orcs <laughs> and orcai in, in League right there. I mean, that was... Obviously, that was that had to have been a special effect shot. And it just... Some of it, some of it was the army. God, that's awesome. I knew the Helm's Deep was a lot of that was actually practical. I knew they had like 300 people on set all the time dressed in Orakai outfits, but it's just absolutely mm. incredible. We're sitting here talking about the special effects, but I mean, it's just all we could talk about any aspect I mean, of it because it's also it was good. yeah the, that the special effects just rose to the occasion and complemented what was already a great story. All right, one more. Right. I, I'm going to throw in didn't one more. Take away from it. What do you guys think? This is my favorite film score. I listen to a lot of film score music. I love classical yeah. music in general. This it's not only is it Howard Shore's best score, I think it's I think it safely ranks in top it's five. It's in the top two. I, I think I think Star Wars still probably has the belt, but but then again, again they don't introduce the Imperial, if the Imperial March was in the first movie, there'd be no contest. But mm-hmm. I still think I mean. It, it that's one and two for me. I, I don't, there are a couple others that I, mean, I did, but yeah. I think that's one and two. Lord of the Rings, Superman, Star Wars. Like mm-hmm. I, I put Superman third on those yeah. two, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's something pretty huge, right? I the wasn't only thing that we could even compare to it is John Williams' yeah, yeah, yeah. opuses. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's that's pretty I mean, damn good. Howard Shore, I mean, we're gonna have to, we'll, we'll wrap this up in a minute, but uh, I have two other things. One was um, Sean Astin at the end of the movie uh, when they finally get back to Hobbiton. Oh, my God. And uh, real- he sees his daughter. His actual real life daughter? <laughs> uh, it wasn't in the first few takes. Oh. It was a different actress. And then to get the reaction that he wanted on like the third or fourth take, Peter Jackson substituted his actual daughter that he hadn't seen in seven months. Wow. Well, and so this, and she I'm ran back. out. These are like yeah, those war. These are like those war videos where the de- like the person comes home from war at a basketball game and. <laughs> yeah. So that look of joy on his face is absolutely real. We should mention that as well. Obviously, we we you know we talked about the fact that they were filming these back to back. I listened to a, an actors on actor interview. I don't know if you guys ever watched those with the Hollywood Reporter. It's just an actor interviewing another yeah. actor, and I saw Ian McKellen and Kate Blanchett's. Ah. And they mentioned to each. Uh, Ian was like, "Well, you know, we met in Middle Earth," and she was like, "Yes, we did. They lived in New Zealand the entire mm. time this was happening. So the actors, yeah. the principal actors, especially, it's not that they were in every single scene together. So it's not like they saw each other every single day, but they lived yeah. in different parts of New Zealand together." As a part of this entire crew, with everyone, they're all on this journey together. And yep. it's just so, I just think that's just so, so beautiful that they had the opportunity to not have to go back and forth between other jobs, to commit mentally and emotionally and physically to this enormous endeavor. The the sweetest part of the um, watching the behind the scenes, the special features, is um, they all stayed for each other's final takes. So there's a scene where mm. Frodo's writing in the book at the end, um, and he's basically leaving the space for Sam and he has to tell oh. him and Vigo and Billy Boyd and they're all there in the background because they're all watching each other's tape. Oh, it is that's so good. That's it's so like, emotional. Also, also, I, ho- I hope, I hope this survives this week. I hope this, this, this trilogy, this franchise can beat out the Cornetto series because I would love to talk about some things like, for instance, Vigo Mortensen apparently was so well-versed to nature. He's such a natural guy that he would just like get on a horse and basically be like, see you guys tomorrow. And then he would just go out into the mm-hmm. wilderness and just come back in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't have a house. He, he lived in the trees. 
he bought. I, I, I read on. I read one of my favorite stats. Is, one of my favorite stats is he bought the horse. I think he bought um, Aowen's horse and gave it to Aowen's stunt double as a gift. Oh, that's like neat. who does that? What actor gives another actor a gift for? Usually, like the studio or the especially if these movies all made nine hundred million dollars a piece, which in today's money would be like one point five billion because this was almost twenty years ago now. Mm. Um, so th- I mean, this movie. Think about like all the Marvel movies, and, and the Marvel movies knew how much money they can make because of how well these did in the box office. Three years in a row, basically nearing a billion dollars twenty years ago, and the actors were giving each other presents on set. I mean, that is just do we want to do we want to talk real quickly right. about the just, actors, or do we want to move on? Um, we we should move on, but I do. It wouldn't be a Lord of the Rings discussion if we didn't bring up Giant Eagle Gate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the one criticism that everyone has of this is why didn't they just fly the eagles to Mordor? Fuck you. Yeah, that is not... It's about the journey. So Tolkien refers to this as a catastrophe. He has gotten tons of criticism about this in his career. Why didn't they just in the first place? That's not... That's the whole fucking point of this journey. By the end, if you make it to to Aragorn turning around and saying for Frodo, and you don't understand that the entire reason we went on this was because of the faith in the cause that there was no choice but to move forward. The Eagles the eagles would not have needed to come help if there wasn't a reason to come help. It's not because somebody yep. asked them casually yep. at the very beginning of this. It wasn't a preemptive thing. They joined the fight at the very end. So I feel like it's almost like a manifestation. It's a... It, I don't know. And also, you know, I'm Sauron. I'm a giant flaming eye hovering in the sky. I'm looking for my ring. Oh, what's that in the horizon? Giant fucking eagles. Boom, end of humanity. Yeah. He wins. Also, I love... Like, you can see them a mile away. I I love the Harry Potter movies. I really do. They are on our list. We are going to talk about them. J.K. Rowling borrowed slash stole as much as possible from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> first things first, Dumbledore is Gandalf, but also Fox, the, the the magic phoenix. You could make that exact same argument. Mm-hmm. Well, if we have a magic phoenix, then why don't we just use the magic phoenix? He can, his tears bring people back to life. He can evaporate you into midair. Why don't we use the phoenix more? And it's it's beca- the exact same thing. It, help is always there for those who... Yeah. And the, fe- the phoenix is like that hurts motherfucker mm-hmm. i'm not doing exactly. that again yeah but that but that is that <laughs> is the truth so the same thing in harry potter applies to here there's no way don't give me that eagles bullshit yeah, you have to yeah. go on it's the also it's they the, wouldn't have reunited right. the it's planet the, uh, the eagles wouldn't have reunited this the last planet. thing we'll say maybe this is where we should stop for this it's the tales that really yep. matter it's at the end of number two it is a famous passage from the book it's a famous scene from the movie when shit is going to hell around frodo and sam when they're stuck in and stuck in um uh what's that middle city that's falling at the time uh, damn it, I can't remember the name of that town. I'll remember yeah, later. Remember. And everything is just going to shit, and they're cutting back and forth from the other stories. Everyone is back is against the wall. People are dying all around them. And Sam gives this monologue about the tales that really matter. And he has this realization that the only reason the good stories exist is because all of the heroes never gave up, especially when they needed to push forward against the odds. Again, it's just so meta. Tolkien knew exactly what he was doing, but he's right, which is why these secondary world tales are such a perfect, the escapism, to bring it back to that, they're such a perfect vehicle for humans to deal with all of the aspects of life. You are going All to right, achieve what note. you want only if you we're go gonna, against the odds and you fucking go for we're it. We're going to wrap this up and come back and talk about three movies John hasn't written a thesis I'm on. I'm crying. I'm crying over here. <laughs> it's the tales that really matter, you guys. It's the tales.
And we're back. We're back. We're back, baby. So we certainly hated Lord of the Rings. Man, what a piece of shit. Um, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, we didn't give a parental advisory, but I don't even think we've cursed yet. So just so you know, we're probably going to curse. No, I, next... I cursed. Oh, yeah, Dave, I yeah. cursed like a motherfucker. What are you talking about? That's right. Okay, I don't cool. fucking curse. Okay? All right. So parental advisory, you're warned 30 minutes into the episode. Um, so we are yes. now going to talk about our 16 seed. The Cornetto Trilogy, which, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, all three episodes were directed by Edgar Wright, written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. All three mm. trilogies basically... And, ha- and, and, Nick, Nick, Frost, and Nick Frost, I contributed. Nick Frost contributed, and he basically plays the sidekick in every movie. There are a lot of people who make an appearance in all three movies. Martin Freeman is one of them, for sure. His role starts out really small, and by the third movie, it gets bigger. Um, anyway... Bill Nye turns up, I think, believe in most of them. Who does? Bill Nye. Bill Nye's definitely is he in Hot Fuzz? He's definitely in Shaun of the Dead in World's End. Is Eddie Marzan he in is more in... than one? Eddie Marzan. Anyway, so we're okay. going to talk about the three yeah. movies, which are 2004's Shaun of the Dead, 2007's Hot Fuzz, yeah. and 2013's The World's End. All comedies, and the only real thing they have in common besides the creators and the creative team and some of the cast is they all eat the Cornetto ice cream, or at least mention the Cornetto ice cream in the three movies. Actually, there's a couple more things as well. So in every single movie, someone tries to jump over a fence and fails. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. There's yeah. a lot of running yes, gags in these lo- movies. Yes. It, beca- it becomes fun to look for the running gag. Exactly. There's, there's always a, a group that are doubles. There's always, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. so we're, we're going to look at them as a trilogy. We're not going to look at them as individual movies, although the watchability and rewatchability of these movies is very high. So if you're bored, you want a good British action comedy spoof, possibly oh, yeah, otherworldly that's thing. the other warning we should give. This is British comedy. This is British comedy, yeah. British so comedy. who would like to kick off the discussion of this trilogy? I don't know how you do it without separating movies, but we'll, we'll see. Who wants to dive in? Do it, Dave. You love these I mean, movies. I'll, I'll dive in. Like, well, Edgar Wright is hands down one of my favorite directors ever. Like Scott Pilgrim is top one yeah, of yeah. my He's fucking awesome. favorite movies. It, it's my favorite. Uh, I will pretty much invest money in anything the man makes. He's never made a bad uh, movie. Now or in the future. No, he hasn't. Um, this, this is way on the other end of the scale. This is an absolutely ridiculous homage to three different genres of films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And like they cover, they cover the zombie film. They cover... I'm not going to give away the other. Everyone knows Shaun of the Dead's a zombie film, but uh, World's End has a twist in the middle of it where it just goes sideways. Yeah. And Hot Fuzz is the same. It's like a build to it. They get to it. But like, my I think my favorite is the World's End twist. I like I love Shaun of the Dead. That's probably my favorite of the three. Um, and then it would be World's End after that. Um, these guys researched the hell out of this. Mm-hmm. Like they sat there and watched so many cop films. They watched so many zombie movies. They watched so much sci-fi to just be able to take the piss out of all of it. They basically took what they saw in these movies and it accentuated it to ridiculous proportions. Mm-hmm. And in one case, added a bub crawl, you know? Yeah. Um, it's actually, so they, they all were around, by they all, I mean Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, who's the lead in all three movies, and Nick Frost, mm-hmm. who's basically the the top supporting character in each all three movies. Um, they're all around the age of thirty when they make Shaun of the Dead, and they had all already been yeah. <laughs> on. I think Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, especially, were on a sitcom called Smashed. Yes. It's called um, 
Smashed. Yes, I think it was called Smashed, like 90, 99 to 2000, Spaced, sorry, Spaced, Spaced. 99 Spaced. to 2001. Yeah, and then they started developing and writing Shaun of the Dead right afterwards. Four million pounds for Shaun of the Dead, eight million pounds for Hot Fuzz. And Hot Fuzz was, was made not too long after Shaun of the Dead. And you would think that was a pretty big success, pretty big surprise success, made tens of millions of dollars around the world. And they still only got an eight million pound budget and they just made the use out, they, they made the best out of it. But there is some, there is some storytelling in this that is that is beyond what most comedies are. So every, first of all, Simon Pegg's the main character in all, in all of these movies and it follows him like perfectly. I would say American comedy for the most part, it's all about scenes. It's all about lines. It's all about gags. It's all about crazy scenarios. This is a, it's a much more slow burn. So we follow Simon Pegg's travel sequences whenever he's moving. The one from Shaun of the Dead is actually what really got the movie famous, to me at least. I remember he basically goes out in the zombie apocalypse and he has a lot of personal stuff that's going on that's introduced early in the movie. And he doesn't realize the zombie apocalypse is going on around him. And he's going to get the Cornettos for his roommate Nick Frost, which is really funny. that this he's hungover as shit. He's very hungover and he's walking around. (laughs) I mean, there's a scene in the movie where they're like, oh, why didn't you guys get a room? And he doesn't realize that it's not people having sex it's actually a zombie eating another person so it's it's just a whole spoof on it it's an action movie it's not about the lines it's not about the jumpy laughing like hysterically like milk coming out of your nose stuff it is just it, you, it's impossible to take your eye off it because you're with them the entire way also one one fair warning once you watch this movie you will never be able to hear queens don't stop me now yeah without thinking of people that's laying into pool zombies cues. with pool cues that's that's Shaun of, that's Shaun of the Dead there's Don't Stop Me Now and then it ends with um, ooh you're making me live yes yeah a lot of good Queen songs in Shaun of the Dead I don't know how they had the money for all of those Queen songs on a four million pound I mean, budget right. but... this is, so this is the all three of these movies why do they work so well in their comedies and I think it just it just begs the question what makes a comedy more than just a scene or two to quote with your friends after you've seen the movie? Right. Um, all three mm. of these movies are about growing up. They're about dealing with how to become a better version of yourself. Simon Pegg's character in different ways in each of them is resisting change. He's resisting maturity. He's resisting moving on from his parents and Shaun of the Dead. His girlfriend wants him to grow up. Hot Fuzz, he was picked on all the time when he was a kid, so he became a cop that is you know, a fucking asshole because he didn't have any friends who helped him mature. It's about him maturing with the help of making friends in the new small town in hot fuzz and the world's end is literally about him desperately hanging on to his high school years and his golden years with his buddies who have all moved on and about him ultimately having to face the fact that he can't keep living in the past so it's it's a it's a good example of just like everything else in all of art all the elements have to be firing together the writing is strong the acting is is really 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 good if you didn't this is okay. These movies are not camp. I, I think there's a. I, I want to. I do want to make that. Uh, no, they're entirely genuine. Yeah, I, honestly, the reason they work is because they know that they have made a filmmaking wink to you. They want you to have fun. They're going to have fun. They're going to put some fun, crazy Queen songs in the background. You're going to be laughing and you're going to be enjoying all the amazing editing transitions, all the amazing, hilarious action sequences. But at the core of it characters are taking it seriously so yeah. it is is that satire is are these just really good satirical versions of the zombie movie the crime cop movie and then the uh i don't know the sci-fi apocalyptic movie kind of thing mm. they take them so seriously that 
you allow yourself to, I don't know if it's you or if they do it for you, but by the end of each of these, there is always a final scene where Simon's character has to realize I can't be like this anymore. And you actually are rooting for him. It, you actually do care. And that's why I think these movies are more than than just all the fun elements that Edgar Wright is clearly a brilliant technical filmmaker. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to, oh, yeah, to use all the special question. effects, how to use practical effects. He's a wonderful editor. I love the, how they cut all of these movies. Whenever they move from one place to another, the the quick do, 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 yeah. do, the quick editing. He's like, that world's just, end. Yeah, world's it's end. fucking amazing. They do it every single time. And it's just so, it's mm-hmm. so amazing. But at the, the core the, of it, I just love what's happening montage. to Simon Pegg. What's up? The, the fast cutting breakfast montage in yeah. Shaun of the Dead, like the, that, that sort of, technique is mimic the world over now the be- mm-hmm. and the best is in Shaun of the dead when again he's avoiding the zombie apocalypse that you the audience knows is happening but not him they scroll through the television channels and all of the different channels in sequence he keeps saying next next but they're they're all explaining one complete sentence that there's a zombie yeah. apocalypse happening but he yeah. keeps changing it so that is like british comedy at its that is at its best where it's it's funny and it's hilarious but it's not what an american comedy would do is turn it on simon Pegg and say do something funny this was like Edgar Wright's like, I got yeah. you. We're building we're building up the storytelling. We're keeping true to the character where he's being delusional about this, but we want to catch the audience up. It's great. Mm-hmm. And and I love the opening sequence of Hot Fuzz for exactly what you were talking about, John, where it takes itself so seriously that it's it turns from a, like a police training montage into just like a, a regular old cop movie where he's arresting everybody and he's like in charge. And it's all these incredible sequences. And then at the end, he's immediately getting transferred out of London because he's too good at being a cop. He's and too good. By, <laughs> by the time. And it's so funny because it's Martin Freeman, who we all know. We all know Martin Freeman. And, and he keeps asking for more people because he wants to talk to a supervisor, a supervisor. And he finally talks to so Bill Nye, who basically. Like, so <laughs> nothing about the opening sequence is a joke nothing there's not one moment where he like drops his gun not nothing until until, until in that scene when he's like you want me to get the the lead inspector in here you're gonna make me get him all the way down here lead inspector he's, he's, in, like, there, he's in there in 10 seconds yeah and it's bill knight and bill knight just goes look you your arrest count is 400 percent higher than the next person's arrest count we we have to transfer you just because you make us look bad and then and then there is the most depressing where again an american movie and i've seen other videos and people talk about this this isn't the most original thought about it edgar wright an american comedy would just would just show like a, some b-roll of a train leaving and then maybe some b-roll of the new town and then him like at the pub of the new town because it's all about like the actor and the character this him getting on a train with his stuff and then getting off the train and then sitting on a bench while he waits to transfer to a new train the the fast cutting his <laughs> like the the close ups of his face while this is happening it it it's like by the time he gets there you're caught up you're you're sitting there with mm-hmm. him and then you don't want to be there and then that the crazy lady who's basically like, <laughs> he's checking into his hotel and and she goes she goes oh it's you again and he's like hi um i'm i'm here and he's she's like oh yeah you've always been here and she looks up and she goes oh i'm sorry i thought you were my husband and it's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah like he after you see this whole training montage he basically goes in a maybe haunted hotel it's it's like i I know that's that's a weird hint into this movie i I love hot fuzz i know it's the least like it's probably the least successful out of the three, mostly because it's too long, mostly because it turns into Man on Fire where the last 30 minutes is awesome. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, and I know I'm rambling. All of these movies, what I would say, specifically talk about Hot Fuzz, because the action sequences in Hot Fuzz are 
awesome. There are some brutal deaths in Hot Fuzz, and they do them quickly <laughs> so that they're funny. But it's like, you know they're spoofing the the genre, but it's like it's just a little bit too long. Hot Fuzz, but all of these movies have incredible deaths. They have incredible action sequences. It's it's really really cool. It's they're all worth watching. They're all worth watching. Hot Fuzz was my favorite for the first thirty minutes, and then I wish. I mean, I'm, to, we can we can talk about. It. I'm probably going to focus more on World's End because I feel like that's the one a lot of people have. Especially seen as now much. because you can't do bar um, crawls. How how much during coronavirus do you want to yeah. do a bar crawl? This is like the perfect right. way of getting out of Corona would be doing this bar crawl. Sorry, Dave. Back to you. Somebody somebody posted a meme online earlier today where they've just put a bottle of uh, alcohol in every room of their house, and that's their bar crawl now. <laughs> which I think is a great idea. But did you pick up on Bill Nye's um, cameo in World's End? No, because he's he's never on screen. Every single voice on the phone oh, is Bill Nye. Okay, okay, okay. God, okay. I was so like, funny. whose voice is that? I kept, I kept. I was like, that yeah, guy has to be famous. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, Bill what? And I, yeah. Which, okay, okay, yeah. So everybody knows Bill Nye is the guy from um, he, the the um, what's the famous Christmas story? Yeah, I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. That's Bill Nye. Just so but knows. like Bill Nye is so cool. He literally phoned it in. <laughs> that was Edgar's pitch to him for this last role. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, before, so before we get into World's End, because we'll start talking about it, another thing I love so much about these movies is that. Um, so uh, I have a brother-in-law who is British, and so I've gotten to go over there um, once now and hang out with them. Obviously, my sister has been with them, so I'm, I feel like I am through osmosis and through getting to know him better, learning more about the, the the cliches and the actual realities of like British culture. The British pub culture is something that is very, very, very real. And it is alive and well in all of these movies. It is a big part because he tends to take the, these everyman people. He tends to work with lower, you know, working class folks who are constantly getting wrapped up in that kind of, the kind of lifestyle where they have their job, but they're kind of unsatisfied and they live for the pub and they live for this end of the day thing. And a lot of them are working through creating a life that is more than just that. A lot of them is about trying to rise above that. And yet it's so well done that you kind of want to just go with them to the pub for at least one night before you guys move on too far. Let's go have some fucking fun and let's go for it. So yeah. World's also, end. Don't, do not do not fuck around in a British pub because as, as they point out in one of the pubs he tries to go into, because basically the storyline of this is they try to rekindle their youth pub crawl yeah. and it's 12 bars uh, and it's the golden mile, the, the golden, the golden mile. And they get into one of the pubs and he gets refused service because he's been banned for life from when he was a teenager. <laughs> for like 20-something years. And his photo is on the wall. Yeah, shout out to the young actors who plays the young version of Martin Freeman, Simon Pegg, Nick Ferrat. Like, shout out to the yeah, young Yeah, that was pretty good. good job. I loved, uh, uh, they have the, so the first two pubs they walk into. And, and again, I, I've only been over there once. But last year, I was walking into some pubs with my, uh, first of all, I got to throw this anecdote in there. One night we were doing a, uh, we were crawling around to different pubs in London, me and my brother-in-law, and we passed Edgar Wright on the street in between bars. And he was like, there goes Edgar Wright. And I was like, oh my God, that was Edgar Wright. And him and his buddy were drinking a beer in the street, walking and talking. I was like, this is just too perfect. Um, so anyway, they walk into the first two pubs and they're like, God, it's like deja vu, right? And they're the exact same pub because there is this movement that seems to be happening right now that a lot of Brits are complaining about where they're trying to make them a little more they're family friendly the and franchising. They called it Starbucking. I thought that was so yes. fucking funny. They look, they're the exact same fucking pub. So true. Uh, um, 
Yeah, it's you- it's it's so fun. I also love that there, there's so much in like inside baseball you could get into with these films in hindsight that that were really prevalent at the time. It's funny now that um, Martin Freeman was one of the biggest movie stars of the year this year. This came out because this was during the Hobbit trilogy, and it was during Sherlock that The World's End came out, and he wasn't even a big role in the first two movies. Um, by the time the world's end came out so they basically made him like a stuffy businessman that was too cool for school that really didn't want to do the like thing because he had outgrown it and he was better than that meanwhile like he's literally bilbo baggins in one of the biggest movies in the world at the same time yeah um you you get jim broadband who at this point had just done um the last like harry potter movies for hot fuzz that was 2007 so it was like right as the harry potter coming to an end um and, and then Bill Nye was doing the um, Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. So you have these people just trying to have a ball on set. But yeah, I mean, that's when you know you've got a good team, though. When you, yeah. like, no matter how famous they get, no matter how good you they have, they're having, you say, hey, I'm doing this. Do you want to come in? Yeah. And they jump. Yeah. And that's part of it. And they that commit is, 100%. That is, without like, a doubt, that's part of the appeal, isn't it? Like, we, we get to see this, like, little theater troupe. Like reoccur with each they, other, and they're clearly having they're so having much fun, fun. dude. They Qu- are question. loving it. So, I, yes. so David Bradley, who plays Filch in the Harry Potter series, and he plays Walter Frey uh-huh. in the Lord of the Rings series, he is in. Um, he's in Hot Fuzz and at World's End and the World's End. Is he? Has he been playing? Um, like a basically like Brits. a cr- <laughs> I mean old old like how is he not dead Brits for thirty years I mean the in him and Hot Fuzz he does this weird device where he actually needs a translator so so Nick Frost two, is translating yes yeah, Nick Frost is translating to Simon Pegg because he, the words he's saying are inaudible he literally just says sound out loud what a dream as an actor you show up and you're like blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, oh, what he's saying is that bomb has been deactivated. It's like, it's so, he is so funny. And he's in both movies. Again, yeah, this is a guy that's been in Harry Potter. He also stood he's in the middle of Harry Potter during this. As the, as the first Doctor as well in oh, the yeah. recent specials because yeah. we lost William Hartnell. So he stood in and took over the role. Um, this is a guy who could have almost any job he wants. And he's playing a B-roll <laughs> in so Edgar funny. Wright and Simon Pegg, Nick yeah. Frost's film. Like these guys can, I, I think could make a, they could make a phone call to anyone in England go, Hey, you want to, and you wouldn't even finish the sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And which again tells you that it's, 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 it's more than just a comedy. Like these movies are going to live. There's that phrase about, you know, to have a, to have a really good drama, you need three amazing scenes to have a really wonderful comedy. You need at least one hilarious scene. Not only are there more than one hilarious scene or moments in each of these, they're all brilliantly comedic you know they're all funny but they're mm. they're so much yeah. more than that we're gonna come back and rewatch these and we're gonna encourage everyone to go rewatch these yeah. because watch there's these more there's so laughs. many great throwaways yeah, yeah. wait yeah. so let's break it down for people who are- also Sorry, Dave, go ahead. I'll world's, do world's end i'm i mean i'm coming back to the studies the fucking fight choreography i know yeah it was amazing so the, and the action scene and, and this yeah. is this this is one of those few films where um, they were lucky in that when you show a study's face on screen, you don't immediately die in the next scene because you can come back. But it was like the fights were solid and like I've lost words. No, <laughs> no sure. and a lot of the studies, a, a lot of the studies, you know, especially when you're dealing with like zombies and stuff like that. But in, in general, in the rest of in World's End as well with the, the blanks or whatever they call them, the sleeves, mm. um, a lot of them are are not they're not the mad uh, uh mad max fury road studies they look like right. regular people so like i love how he yeah. uses uh extras who might not 
be typical stuntmen. I don't know if that's like how they would identify with their job, but he does, again, he does a really good job of creating that world of that blue collar British thing. And then people get into stunt situations. Yeah. And that's one reason why it's fun. And you yeah. can laugh at it because it's not just muscle bound, big stunt guys. It seems like regular British people that they are hurting. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, but well, I get, like the guys in the bathroom fight and the fight that happens outside the pub, I, they definitely had um, both fight in and fire work training because you can, yeah, in the world's end, you cannot move like that. Yeah. Otherwise, they they did a phenomenal job. And the, 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 girl, just... the girl with the legs for arms at the one spot, not to get... That was amazing. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. the fuck they did, yeah. but... Wait, I, wait for that scene. It's, I really did not see... It should, be ridic- it should be ridiculous, but it's just not. I really did not see the twist coming in the world's end. Right. Like I was ready for I, it to just be did. them getting into shenanigans and there was right. enough of an emotional arc there. I did not see it coming in there. Which okay, I, so I'll bring this up. I wanna know I wanna ask you guys. I just wrote down some thoughts after reviewing these. He likes to mess with uh idealism he likes to mess with movements i think there's commentary on gentrification i think there's all these themes that seem to play into all three of these about Hmm. begging the people who already live there to change or begging a certain class to change and trying to defend over and over and over again that people don't really respond that way when they're told mm. what to do or what those kinds of expectations. So you have like the, you know, I'm the small wonder, personal stories it... that Sam Simon is going through in all of these, but you also have the bigger picture things that uh, the world is expecting these people to change with or without their permission. And that's the problem is that the, they don't give them the permission. They don't mm. inspire them. They expect them to. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, is that the difference between like, because a lot of foreign films being British films, Australian films, uh, Korean films, whatever, foreign. Um, will, have an ele- will have an element of social commentary in them. I hope so. And like, you, if you have an element of social commentary in an American film, you've got to be careful because the audience will respond with, are you trying to tell me what to think? Exactly. Like we don't or see any of these. To live? We don't see any of these in Adam McKay's dramas. They're all very personal and very character-driven. Step Brothers, The Anchormans. Like they're still also really good, smart, dumb humor. But there's there doesn't mm. seem to be a commentary. And I'm not even saying Edgar Wright tells you it's not propaganda. He's not saying what he thinks no. about it. He's letting you discover it through what I mean, happens to Simon Pegg. I think because Edgar Wright grew up in a generation well. where yeah, the, the that is around the, that generation grew up with Hitchhiker's Guide which yeah. is one of the biggest fucking social commentary books ever. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much social satire of the British government mm-hmm. in that book. Um, and that's the kind of comedy he was inspired to. He grew up with the young ones. He grew up with like all of these fantastic punk anarchy references. Like it's... And the... Uh, that, uh, that, and that inspires his work. Just again, I'm, I'm totally... I'm just... I'm trying to be honest about this. I, I don't... I have not been over there enough. But from what the conversations I have with my brother-in-law... It did not seem happenstance. This is something that is very real. We ran into an actor friend of his and we had we ended up having a gigantic conversation with his actor friend without either of us cueing it about class. That is still something that is the the, the difference the differentiation differ, differentiation between the classes is still something right. very palpable. It's talked about a lot in British culture. Yeah. And I think it's something that yeah. we really don't understand as Americans. We have big conversations during election times about the 99%, the 1%, the whatever, but it doesn't, it's not baked into our history in the same way well, and that, as that's, it is for them. That it will be changed now because terms like the 99%, the 1% have been really active the past five years. But I think like British psychologists used to say that Americans were born and raised with the idea that if you worked hard, you could become president. The Brits right. knew you were never going to be queen 
because you're, that's not for you. That's not your bloodline. So grow the fuck up and go to go to school. And so yeah. just like that tiny difference, like maybe that's super specific, but that tiny difference of basically being like, know your lane, find your path. Whereas in America, it was just so broad. Like you can do whatever you want. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, yes, I guess that's different. He but what I would make... say to Edgar Wright is, because we're talking about British bar culture and class, et cetera. And there's a lot about London versus the country, especially in Hot Fuzz, which is not the only movie I saw, even though I keep quoting it the most. I think it's in Shaun of the Dead a lot too. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, why are you, why, why are you living that way? And it's like, well, I'd rather be in London living this way than in the country where I can afford it. So that is also classism in a way. It's like the closer you are to city center London, the better for you. And why would you want to move to the country? Um, mm-hmm. So, so because he's taking those on, and but because the specificity of the time and place, he's not preaching to us. He's not explaining to anything to us. He's he's saying this is the character circumstances, and I want to show them as accurately as possible. Even though I've never been yeah. to wherever they were in any of these movies i not only relate to it i'm drawn to it because i'm so curious about it so it's like it seems so close and seems like i can touch it well there's something isn't there something why do the british hate their stepdads and the british hate their stepdads stepdads. (laughs) child of divorce (laughs) if you're a child of divorce in england man i feel so bad for you i mean doesn't it say something about he he doesn't make a lot of times when people think about british movies if they haven't really delved into the working class movies, we're thinking of costume period dramas. As Americans, a lot of people think, oh, like the, the royal stuff, the you know, the crown and shit like that. I think by not making, I'm going to use a British term here, by not making posh, posh movies, he's not focusing on that class. There is immediately, as we as Americans know from a lot of our, uh, you know, neorealism era, the 70s, all those great directors who were making like really grounded stuff with the the lower classes there is something that happens when you're watching stories with lower class they they're not as defined as a class as a people they're they're not as solidified with institutions having a mouthpiece or a single voice to say this is how you should live so it automatically gives you permission at the beginning of each of these movies if you have their point of view if you're like man we are one of them and they are still figuring it out then can you hear is that good if they are still figuring it out then we get to figure it out in a gritty situation with them. So the suspense is already up because they don't know what the fuck is they're going to do tomorrow. And then he introduces these apocalyptic, crazy, ridiculous mm. scenarios. And you realize just, that no one in the thought. cavalry is never coming. There is no cavalry. There is no institution that's going to save any of these people. It's the individuals versus the end of the world in every one of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a fun thought. If, uh, if Edgar Wright hired Roger Deakins as his cinematographer, Dave. it would either lead to the greatest film in history or the biggest on-set fight you've ever seen. Oh, the action sequences. I mean, Hot Fuzz <laughs> is the best. I don't care what you say. They're, they're really cool in the world's end because the character, the story is a little bit like better. But when Simon Pegg is riding that horse down through the center of town with the gun sticking out, <laughs> and you know, you know that they are going to blast a million dollars on every like 10 seconds of whatever is about to come. Like, it is so... <laughs> Oh, it is great. It is great. All right. I feel like we need to wrap this off and get on to the argument of what's going to survive. But just one thing before we leave, because these films, uh, especially in case World's End and Lord of the Rings, have one very big thing in common. Uh, right at the end of World's End, you see Simon Pegg walk up to a bar and he's decked out in apocalypse gear and uh, he's got a sword on his back. And if you look really closely, that sword is an exact replica of Gandalf's sword. Is it Gandalf's or is it? Is it's it, Gandalf's. It's not Aragorn's? It's Gandalf's sword. Did Martin no, Freeman steal it from New Zealand when he flew back to film this movie? Probably. <laughs> he said, look, I have to I have to make scale for a film. I have to leave the Hobbit trilogy for a second. 
Yeah, it's like, just just give me this. Just give me this. I'll any, bring it back. Uh, before we move on, are there any, Just I mean, this is a comedy, were there any lines that you guys just, that just kill you in any of these things? Like, my, so favorite, oh, my favorite was oh the times God. they cut yes. off the cursing. There was so many, t- I can't explain it too specifically, but a character would be about to drop a huge curse and then they would like, like distract them and catch them off guard. That happens in every movie. They're like, I don't give the slightest bit of a, fu- mom, are you ready to go or what? Are you ready? Like they did it so many times. <laughs> yeah, they do that a lot in Shaun of the Dead. It's and so yeah. funny. Mm. Um, there's also a great spit so take. In, uh, well there's a great spit take in Hot yes. Fuzz where um, there's two two actors playing Romeo and Juliet in a play that they go and see, and the actor who plays Romeo is like 60 years old, the man, and the, the girl is like his <laughs> mistress that he's having an affair with, who's maybe 40, and and Nick Frost. I don't want to say it because we have a parental advisory, but it's it's basically like no say it, say make it. it. Oh okay. my god, sorry, if, sorry if I coach your child and, and I'm a singing coach. Anyway, um, <laughs> he says something like. Come to think of it, she does seem to have a thing with older men because uh, Johnny, whatever his name is, said that he fingered her one. And then literally there's just a spit take and the scene ends. It's like as soon as they said that they realized how disturbing it was. So there, it is a fantastic there spit, are spit take. takes. They don't they don't they don't shy yeah. away from the physical comedy. There's a there are great spit takes in Hot Fuzz. And that last like the fifth or sixth bar they get to when they're really fighting a world's end. And he keeps trying to yep. finish his pint. Yeah. And he keeps trying to drink yeah. it. And they, he mm-hmm. eventually gets a big gulp in his mouth and somebody punches him and he spits it all out that's hilarious <laughs> for fuck's sake no my favorite my favorite line in uh i think out of all of them in world's end is nick frost when he's about to leave just before he punches the door out <laughs> and it's like they know what we're doing but they don't know that we know what they're doing and nobody else has a better plan so fuck it <laughs> and then he, he punches the glass yeah that was hilarious yeah. right when the beginning one of the characters in this pub crawl is you know he's not been drinking for a long time and simon peck to him says i didn't know you were gonna drink fucking rain because <laughs> he's drinking water <laughs> that That's fucking so killed me. and then he tries to have, when he tries to hook up again with one of the guy's sisters in the disables the disables bathroom he says maybe one of them put too much paper down the toilet i mean we don't know what they're thinking do we <laughs> <laughs> that was so fucking There's awful. So many inappropriate oh throwaway lines. God, anyway, so we have to move on. So watch these movies; they're fucking great. Yes. We'll oh right yeah, back. watch them. All right, um, we'll be right back. And we're back. We're back. That's right. So this is the part of the episode that you've all been waiting for. Where you, I hate every single thing about you. I John, hate every leave the every room to pee. Oh, he's drinking. He, he's 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 pouring. He's pouring Coors Light like he's peeing into a public restroom. It's like ten feet it's, above I the mean, glass. I've never. It's I didn't Coors know Light. He's may as well be. I didn't know Coors Light could make that much foam. You. Ugh. Every single thing. Okay, we're we'll back. We're back. Okay, so this is the part that everybody has been waiting for to see what it's like when John drinks three Coors Lights. You asshole. Okay, no, no. This is the part where we decide who is going to advance: our number one seed, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, or our number sixteen seed, the Cornetto trilogy. Why do? <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, man. Like. <laughs> This is in the middle I'll of let you how finish the Coors... sentence. All right. Way to <laughs> blow out your microphone, ass. Okay. So why don't we do this? Because we praise these movies and we believe that if anybody is at home and you're, you have 
you have uh, coronavirus isolation stir crazy syndrome you should watch these trilogies but now that we've said that let's pick them apart a little bit because right now we praise them so much i need to i need to see you know what what's going to take somebody what, what's going to take away from somebody advancing so why don't we start with lord of the rings what didn't work for you or what could have been better john i'm going to start with you because you would literally write a doctoral thesis on this tonight if you could man that's a tough one what could be better about lord of the rings the only thing that sucks about lord of the rings is that they're not even longer and there's not more of them get the fuck out of here there's dave, few, dave no, I, I, wish, oh, I, wow. I wish we there's i wish we couple, could mute there john. are some special you know as we were praising in the first half the evolution of the special effects there dave. are some effects in fellowship and there are some early introductory things with Gollum that, you know, they get so polished by the time you get they are just to the shitty. And drink, drink. Yeah. All right. So let's start. Fellowship. I love so much of the effects in that movie that this one, I think, stands out for a lot of people is one of the times where you kind of like, ah, oh, that just didn't kind of feel like the rest of the effects. And it's when Kate Blanchett you would have a queen and she goes all crazy when frodo tries to give her the ring i've never i don't hate that part by any means it doesn't bother me but i think the effects on that are kind of weak and i know we're not talking about the hobbits yep yep yep, yep, yep. you know what you know what i don't you're done i get it you, what we do get you mean? It. no when you see hold on wait that's the, that's all he can when find. you see when you see where they go with her i know it's not lord of the rings but if anybody who saw the hobbits in the battles of the five armies when she has a very similar when she kind of turns into that heightened version of herself and she's super powerful and she's fighting what will become Sal Sauron and the hobbits. And you can see the difference in technology that 12, 14 years had made. It's not even comparable. So that's one of the only moments Man, for me that I'm just like, if, no. if, all, if only the Hobbit was on our list. Sorry, Dave, what do you think? <laughs> All right. Um, considering we had a rather lengthy discussion last week about uh, – well, no, last podcast about uh, breaking your own rules, including the laws of physics. Oh, no, Let's Dave. cover Legolas jumping up falling rocks. Mm. The rocks are falling. Legolas is falling. He jumps from falling rock to falling rock like he has some friction there. It's like that's not how physics works. I mean, oh, John, like, my favorite – Literally, my fa like that is literally like – a cheat. I don't know if they break John, John. the rules, though, because that's how he always moves. But I will agree that. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I don't know if I'm gonna agree with that. I do have a that criticism is, for the character. That is one of my least of famous. Legolas, uh, like my least if you're, favorite. If you're a yeah. huge fan of the books and the story, I do think they kind of took some of the weight and the humanity out of Legolas and Gimli, they kind of turned them into a little bit of comic relief, which is very entertaining when you're watching the movies. Yeah, but there's, it was, there's was a lot him. more to them in the books. There are more, they are not comedic relief in the books. And I'm not saying you have to love the books, but I do think if you have the full palette, if you're watching and reading and you get, the, you get obsessed with this story, there is something that feels less than about the way they portray them in the movies that, I think I would have appreciated watching them be a little bit more than just the one-liner banter back and forth. And the action stuff is pretty ridiculous. For Legolas in general, right? It's pretty ridiculous at all. When he jumps on that fucking elephant at the end, really, really, really cool. Elephant. Yeah, the elephant. Isn't that what they call them? Yeah. Uh, when he jumps yeah, yeah, on that yeah. thing yeah. at the end, it's kind of like, how many months do you think it took or to, to make that sequence? <laughs> and I don't know if it was... I don't know if it was super necessary <laughs> for us to see him or, do that. 
Okay, fine. What I would say is, I do love, I love the films. It took me two or three watches to get on the tree sequence. I, I got the global warming parallels, which is funny. Uh, this is a long time ago. I, it, the trees are great. The ants are great. I love the history of that. I love the lore. I liked, the more I learned about them, the better. But the first watch, I was kind of like, I don't know. I feel like the whole world's about was to go to war. Was that a, was that a with theatrical cut watch? Because it is, it is tough to swallow in the, the theatrical uh, cut. In the in the theatrical the, cut, it's definitely the, touch. The, the theatrical cut the, cuts out important things yeah. that are like especially with the trees. That. Yeah, all the stuff with the trees and the, com- the compositing of, of the guy sitting in the trees could have used a bit of work too. And sorry, <laughs> Dave. Dave. Yeah, yeah. So there's that, and then um, what I would say it, this is minor, and I, I have said this before, and, I, and people have contradicted me. I, I'm like, you're right, you're right. The legless character in the movie doesn't seem. If if I had to choose any elf, his senses, the way he works with Aragorn. So shout out to Vigo and Orlando Bloom, the way they work together. The the chemistry with Gimli is great, but ultimately he didn't seem almost godly. It almost seemed like it was the best of the the um. What, what do you what do you call the the differentiations between them and in, in Lord of the Rings? It didn't seem like godly. He defied fucking gravity. Yeah, hold on, wait, wait, no, wait, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> the the character itself just seems. It, 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 he, he didn't seem as full as the other characters to me. There was always something mysterious, always something hidden. And I don't know if it's just like elves in general and their lore and their mysticism or not. But to me, it always kind of seemed like, what the fuck's going on with this guy? Why is he being so quiet? And then whenever there was a battle, yes, chemistry was great. I, I bought yeah, it. I bought especially, that part really Especially well. because um, you do have, uh, what's his name? Calibrim and Kate Blanchett's characters. So, yeah. so, and you yeah, get to yeah, see yeah, yeah. both of them. It's, it's not humanity. That's not the right word. That's what we would use for a human. Right, but right. You get to see a little bit more of a, a full picture of who their character are and all the things that they're struggling with. I know Legolas is a warrior, first and foremost. So, like, that is established. He is a warrior. He's not a king. He's not a leader in that aspect. He's not a politician. But right. I do ultimately think I agree with you. I, I don't even like saying it, but he is. it is one of the flatter adaptations, considering... Aragorn was a good adaptation. By comparison. And so, yeah, yeah. I, agree, I agree with that. That is a shame. But by I by comparison. I, I, Vigo is probably the best, I think. I mean, they're all great, but Vigo is... I, I can't believe that he wasn't the first choice. I can't believe that he wasn't the second choice. I can't believe that this choice fell upon him, and I can't possibly imagine Aragorn as being anything but him. I know in the books he's supposed also, to be bigger because of the Junodyne or like eight feet tall or whatever, but I, I can't picture it not being Vigo. I also have this one other scene. Um, it's where Aragorn is separated from everyone and the, the other creature finds him and starts licking his face, the horse. <laughs> yeah, the horse, uh, that's right. And there's a scene after that where he grabs hold of the horse and gets on it and rides off into the sunset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they were on set one day and went, fuck, it's sunset, and picked up whatever camera they could get and ran out there. It doesn't match the grade of the film. The noise ratio doesn't match anything. It just... it is a glaring are you about when he comes upon difference to everything else that's shot around when he's, it. When he's still near when he, the water when he, get, when he gets when he's up and he sees when he's half dead and he, when he's half yeah when he's half dead and he gets Does on he the see horse and it's he's riding it's a sunset no it's the, the first it's one. The, the sun shot in, the, in particular yeah yeah and uh yeah it just it looks like it's shot in a completely different I mean, grade of film it looks like it doesn't fit at all dude i would imagine <laughs> again you have i'm sure your eye is is even better for this stuff but just the way we were talking about the way Jeez. they had to shoot this thing i'm sure there are lots of things like that that are not quite consistent because i'm sure they shot out of sequence for so many things yes yeah, this one was really was glaring it? this like they didn't even they didn't even try to fix it wow this 
This section is making me it's, sad. I, I mean, I had the same thing with uh, no. I had the same thing with uh, Dark Knight when there's a shot there that's like edited out of context, and it's like on the when he's on the bat pod, and it, there's this one shot for no, that happens for no reason, and it I'm like, oh, that's why did they do that? Yeah, in an otherwise perfect film. I guess the only yeah. comfort we can take is that like I, one I get percent it. of the viewing Some, audience well, would know yeah. that. that like they have to have a technical background to even think about that. I mean, I also I get it. Sometimes like you've got to get the shot, and it's like we can fix it. Okay, we can't fix it. Let's just go with it. This is what we've got to work with. Sometimes you can't get around that. I've worked on many a project where we've run up against that problem. Um, so it's not really like. I think I'm criticizing for the sake of criticizing because yeah, right this movie is awesome. Right. Let's move on. This movie's fucking great. Get out of here. This sucks. Okay. Shout out to Brago. Shout out to Brago. Eric now I, Keep going. Also, shout out to Jack, your brother-in-law, who got mentioned so many times, but we'll never know who he is. Jack, Jack, uh, do yeah. Give him a follow. All right. Um, let's go. Let's go nobody to nobody can go to London anymore. Let's go to the Cornello tri- Cornetto trilogy. Let, let's hopefully we can keep this a little bit lighter. Hopefully we keep it. Yeah, but let's, let's go say, to one of the all-time best comedies I ever. Mean, yes. Yeah, and they have the comedy element, so now it's going to be a little bit subjective, a little bit more so than if it were into comedy. Yeah, but, I know it's I mean, hard to have that conversation. Like, how do you compare movies? How do you compare a comedy to something that is not right. a comedy? I'm not going to say it's. Yeah, that was the challenge we took upon ourselves. Yeah. nobody asked for it, and we gave it to him anyway. All right, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, let me let me just get specific. You already said it. I think the last. 30 minutes of hot fuzz is 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 not even close to the first hour and 20 minutes of that movie yeah it's right yeah it's right but that was like i said i said man on fire and i love man on fire but the movie turned an hour in for him to become the man on fire the first half wasn't the man on fire the first half was the man recovering from fire and then it was man on fire that's what happened to this movie it said oh we know how to do an action movie and for a while it was playing the comedy like the almost satirized like element of that and then the last half hour was like watch us do this i think i'm gonna kind of i think i'm gonna kind of spin what i said earlier the reason i love the things I love about these movies is the humanity, like when it's all grounded in what he's going through. And then there are these wonderful yeah. interjected moments of, uh, excuse me, action or zombies or whatever. But towards the end of all of these movies, it, it, it becomes mostly the action stuff. And just like any action movie, um, when it's mostly that, there's, there's just not as much substance to it. So you kind of start to feel like you're watching the spectacle. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, I feel like, it, I feel to, like to all that. of these movies, unfortunately, I will, I'll say this. It was something I noticed even at the end of World's End. All of them left me feeling like the, the beginning and middle of each of these movies was stronger than the ending for me. I don't know if you guys agree with that. I'm drinking. <laughs> actually it's funny because i was watching it and i was thinking for both Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz and even world's end this doesn't have that two-thirds of the way through movie slump that all the other movies do where they where we went the gag ran out now we just need to finish this story because now it's not a movie about wedding crashers or a car racer or an anchor and now it's like this specific story how do i wrap this up so the gag is out and this those movies i was like the gags, the action elements really carried it through what would have been that slump. But then when it came time to the final action sequence, it was almost like, I just want to know. Yeah, I, that's what I would say to that. Yeah. But all worth, you, all worth a watch, but the last half so, hour of each I, one. I, I, let me ask you guys this specifically. All these movies have an epilogue, either like yeah. a full epilogue or just a mm-hmm. tiny little gathering up epilogue. I didn't yep. understand 
I'm not, I know that sounds like I'm the, not that these are deep movies. I didn't understand the end of World's End. Why did Simon Pegg switch? Did I miss a detail? Did I miss something? Why did he switch to the the blanks? And the sleeves. Um, he walks into that bar at the very end, and he's it's him. Yeah. And he's got five blanks with him. I didn't. I had no idea. I was totally on board. And then that epilogue really pulled the rug out from under me. I didn't think it was necessary at all. I thought they were going to end with them sitting on the on that hill and watching the city burn, just you know, to bookend how it started with them in the in the intro and the prologue. Right. And then it went on to that, you know, that voiceover telling and. And I just didn't quite understand that last part. And it was just another reason. I, I had remembered f- feeling the same way about Hot Fuzz and a little bit about Shaun of the Dead, although that one was so small, I didn't mind it. It was strictly comedy. Yeah, what happens Shaun with World's End? Yeah. I'm actually asking now. Why, why, why did they switch him? Did I miss a detail? Um, no, I think he just found something to fight for, but they really didn't communicate yeah. that. I think they just wanted like, to do it. Found, so, all right, yeah. so yeah, um, they they yeah, it's probably Martin Freeman walked on set and went, "Hey, I've got Gandalf." Yeah, so why don't we fucking do this? Yeah. And they made it up so on the me, spot. Let me, yeah. All right, let me try to turn that around for just a second. It's actually that sounds like a criticism. It's actually a, a trap, unfortunately, that great movies can fall into. The rest of that movie was so entertaining and so good mm-hmm. that this criticism seems to stand out in my mind, and it kind of left me with a little bit of a bad taste because the rest of it up yeah. until that point was so tight there was absolutely nothing wrong the, with the rest of it the good the good thing the good things about comedy I'll, I'll give you it did it did feel tacked on yeah. but the, the, the good thing about a comedy is the end of the movie usually doesn't affect the rest of the comedy I don't care what happens at the end of it happy Gilmore I'm gonna go ahead and watch it again just for him to to go to basically oh, go to the mini golf place like I don't care about how it ends I don't care if you beat shooter McGavin anyway um okay so guys we have come to the moments of the podcast. So we are going to do this. We're shooting this during the 2020 Corona outbreak. We are going to do this. Um, not like a proper election. We're going to do it like a caucus. So you can change your answer. If somebody gives a compelling argument and pulls you to their side. So do we want to take a vote we first have... and then we'll be, we'll make our compelling arguments or do we want to. We... Let's go. Let's go one by one. Okay. Everybody, ha- everybody has their answer, right? Yes. Okay, wh- which movie is going to advance? Okay, well, let's start with, because I, I, I have a guess as to what it's going to be. John, would you like to start? Lord of the Rings, 100%. I love the Cornetta right. trilogy. I do not yeah, want to, to discourage it, anyone but... from watching them. They are so much fun. <laughs> and you know what? They're end of days movies. And I don't know if anyone else is watching a bunch of end of days movies right now, but I am. And I'm having a good fucking time. And this is a really carefree way to enjoy yourself and watch those movies. But I am absolutely voting for Lord of the Rings to continue moving on in this tournament. You're not selling it. To, uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Dave. I'm sticking with Cornetto Trilogy. Oh my God! You're gonna put the pressure on me. Seventy percent. I just want to point out that this. I just want to point out that this motherfucker. Yeah, there was some convincing what kind of arguments there. Answer is that. I support Amy Klobuchar like fifty percent. I just want to point out that this motherfucker. I don't go Went here. on his honeymoon to New Zealand and literally carried his new bride over over the right. precipice at Bag End. And this fucking asshole just voted for Cornetto Trilogy. Sure. Or maybe, sure. maybe, maybe, maybe Therese just... And I just, just had my six-month anniversary. Oh, no. Maybe, maybe, it's been six months. Holy shit, what have I done? Congratulations. Um, no, it's, it, maybe she just really wanted to see the fjords and Dave was like, no. 
only, only if we go to back end, baby. <laughs> only if we go to back ends. Only. The fjords were nice. Go I see need those to two. touch Bilbo's right, door. I, 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 I kind of want to know, why are you going with the Cornetto trilogy after the conversation we just had? I just feel like Lord of the Rings, for all that it was, the, the storytelling was great. It's our number um, one scene. Produ- <laughs> <laughs> Production-wise, it didn't age well. Ooh. And hit the buzzer, you fucking asshole. The, hit, the, yeah, hit, the, the bu- yeah, hit the buzzer, you bastard. <laughs> Everything else can age well because of Lord of the Rings. Uh, are you I, special yeah, effects? I, I like, like, we did, is that what you're we, talking about? We did... I, um, yeah, just, just like the visual effects and some of the some of that stuff. The, the storytelling aged really well, um, but the more I watch it, the more I see like things that were missed and glitches and things like that. I mean, yeah, it's I, it's a, an epic series of movies. But Edgar Wright, like I said, is my favorite director ever. I'm gonna lean that way. I mean, Peter Jackson is a close second, yeah. but Jackson. at the moment, I'm leaning. <laughs> Yeah, Phil Jackson. Is, I am is curious a, if you have second. any eleven, eleven championships. I am curious if you have 11. any. I know this would be speculative, but I am curious if you think that that was because of literally just because where technology was at the time, or if that was maybe some uh, human error that they made because of the way they filmed it all at once and it was a little disorganized. Actually, actually, quick, quick sidebar. I just had a text pop up on my screen from my wife going, "Don't talk about New Zealand. I can yeah. hear you." Thank you, Therese. Thank you, Therese. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out He's to Dave's wife. She can't hear Shout us. Shout out to Dave's wife. Thank you for defending Middle Earth. She knows. She knows. Yes. Shout out. She'd move back there in a second Good. if she could. Incidentally, uh, one little quick side note while we're there. Um, the You know the log they hide under yeah. in the first movie? You know it's in the middle of a park in Wellington? What? Where the, where the rider, the black rider the comes the, over? The, in the middle yeah, of the city. where they're hiding from the Nazgul. Yeah, it's in the middle of the city in a park in Wellington. Amazing. See, movie Again, magic. these locations, yeah. scouts. Movie magic. Okay, these I've changed. I've changed. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. These locations, right, so scouts. It didn't hold I've up changed my vote. Value didn't I've hold. changed Jeff, my vote. Jeff, give us your vote. I'm saying... I'm saying Lord of the yes. Rings. <laughs> no, I've changed. I've changed my vote. I've changed my vote. He's changed his vote. I also, He's changed his vote. We're three. It doesn't matter. It's a. It's a sweep. Um, here's what yeah. I would say though, because we praise Lord of the Rings a lot. These, um, the Cornetto trilogy, they're really great watches. Two of them are on Stars or Hulu Stars if you have the extension, which would be Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. The World's End you can rent. I think The World's End is a great movie to watch now. Um, because you can't go to bars anywhere, as far as I know. Yeah. So it would be cool I mean, to like be the- kind of. It's like a, it's now all of a sudden it's a nostalgia piece, even more so than it was before. But here's the thing: I would try Shaun to watch of the Dead Shaun is of the an Dead. Absolute classic. I would try to watch Shaun of the Dead first, and Hot Fuzz is they second. They also just reenacted that scene online from quarantine. Say that again. Oh my god, which one? Simon Pegg and Nick Frost oh, just okay. reenacted the phone call scene about <laughs> that's funny. What the plan is? That's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, online, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. you that's- can find that. And about how the plan changes every. Shaun of the Dead does have yeah. the relevant element, like and where even, the plan's even changing all the time. Philip still gets a mention. Oh, nice, <laughs> Philip. Yeah, and the, what about the jaguar? Cool. No. So, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> still jaguar. So, Lord of the Rings it. is a sweep. But, but, but watch the Cornetto trilogy. But really, Absolutely consider doing. They give it a watch. Consider doing the the hero's journey with Lord of the Rings. Three nights in a row. I, I mean, it's the only night, journey. If you're going to do it, let's just put it out there. You. Watch the extended ones. I'll just share a very subjective anecdote. I had a friend who yeah. had still never seen the extended Definitely ones. Definitely watched the extended. And he enjoyed the movies, but he'd watched them like once or twice over the years since he saw them when he was much younger. And I finally got him over to my house at some point over this past winter. And he was like, let's do it, man. And we did one after the other. 
And he had an enormous experience and he could not stop expressing the difference that the extended yeah. versions made. It turns it into what it's supposed to be. So this is one of those things. I know some it director's does. cuts get released and everyone says, do you yeah. really need to it's, watch it's that? It's like the extended version of Batman versus Superman. It's an amazing yeah, film. Get out of here. Dave, Dave, buzz yourself. Because you, know that, buzz you yourself. know that was sarcastic, so buzz yourself. Okay. Um, yeah, it, for sure. It's so great. And the extended version, we, we keep talking about this and just in case you don't know, but somehow you've made it through the entire podcast, the extended version, it's not about, Oh, there's more to unravel. It's that he was forced to cut it down because this was still in the age where you made money per showing. So movie theaters wanted to show the movies as many times as possible. And the, the, the first movie, really the extended version is only three plus, but the next two are closer to four hours. And if you're a movie theater, that that's three showings a day for the biggest movie of the year. So they wanted, if you make it three hours, you can have maybe five showings. So there's a lot of different things that go into why they cut it down. But this is the extended versions for what we know is exactly what Peter Jackson had in mind. For instance, they shaved yeah, like, I mean, if, like if, literally a 30 minute sequence out of the final movie because they thought we would know the ending enough to be able to miss it. And, and if you're watching the whole thing and you're watching these storylines unravel at the same time, you need to see that come down because every time some like one character comes down the other characters come up and we really miss that cross section mm-hmm. we miss it a lot i mean just just to give you an idea of how good the extended edition is i almost voted against this and i own the extended edition on dvd and blu-ray <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> give it a look go the extended edition it's worth the trip for frodo uh, it does make it a for bit frodo. of frodo yeah for frodo dude, dude. Right, i think that's it all right, sure. so we so let's tease. So on our on our Instagram, we're going to release the bracket, um, and we're going to go in order from our seed. We're going one towards eight, right? So our two seed is next week. Now I know you're all sitting there thinking, what is the the two seed for trilogies or franchises? Oh, this There's is so going to be this is going to be hard. I will say we've mentioned. I think all of our top four already in this podcast is a hint. So that's it. We we mentioned all four. We decided for. No reason, really, but we decided that our number two, our number two trilogy or franchise, we decided is The Godfather. That's what we decided. If you have other thoughts, please send us a send us a review. Instagram, Apple Pod. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Well, we are personally at least. You can find us. Yeah, if you if if you're John's dad, uh, it's the five the fifth star. <laughs> the fifth star. Yeah, it's five star. The John's dad. <laughs> five stars. So next week, we'll see. Maybe Godfather will lose to our third or fourth seed, who, which may be a franchise that you feel. What is, is uh, and, and, and what is Godfather going up against next week? Godfather is going up against. For some reason, we buried the comedies in the end of this list. Mm-hmm. So we'll see because I think I'm I'm going to have fun rewatching this, which is the Austin Powers series. Oh, That's yeah, right. We are going to compare <laughs> the Godfather Versus series Austin. to Austin Powers. <laughs> which one is everybody drink? Oh, which so one excited. is better? Which one will advance? Yeah, which one will compete with Lord of the Rings to find? I mean, it's going to be great because I finally have an excuse to watch the Godfather. You've fucking asshole Dave can you imagine <laughs> you imagine if David ever see the Godfather sacrilege anyway that's right alright thank you so much you have, you for tuning in we had a great time we hope you had a great time we are really looking forward to the next several weeks of going over these things we want everybody to stay safe out there stay responsible we are excited to see send you screenshots of you watching these movies we'll tag you we'll share it with our friends yeah please play along yeah. please play along we're hoping everybody play will along. want to do this with us we got plenty of time on our hands let's watch some good tag, movies tag us in your screenshots at Invite us to the watch party, whatever. Invite us to the watch party, although we can't go because of quarantine. But virtually, no, you can have online watch parties now. Exactly. 
If yeah, get the Chrome plugin. FaceTime, Google Hangouts, Chrome plugin, Zoom, Web M- MX, X, WebX. See you guys next week. All right, y'all. Okay. I'm back. <laughs>